Good morning, everyone. I don't need no money to define my life and make me smile. Because Jesus' love defines me. By his grace I live in style Oh now God looks at me With Jesus colored glasses Oh now God looks at me With Jesus colored glasses And what I've done For Jesus' death redeems me The past is gone, the future's won Oh, now God looks at me Through Jesus' colored glasses at me through Jesus' colored glasses Oh, now I'm crucified I'm dead and buried with Christ I have been raised and I am seated on high with my God accepts me, but now he sees me as his son. For the Spirit joined me to Jesus, and now I rest in what he's done. Oh, now God looks at Jesus colored glasses Oh now God looks at me through Jesus colored glasses Oh now God looks at me through Jesus colored glasses Oh now God looks at me Jesus colored glasses All right, I'm going to play you another song. All right. And this next one is called Citizen of Heaven. There it is.
cross I was crucified With my Lord I have died I've been justified And I've been sanctified I've been glorified been glorified, been glorified, oh, yes I am, I am a citizen, yes I am, I am a citizen, citizen of heaven, I'm not of this world. Oh, I wait, I wait for the Lord from above. I wait, I wait for the God of love. Oh, yes, I am. I am a citizen. Yes, I am. Citizen, citizen of heaven, I'm not of this world to live for self, is to live a lie. There is no fruit unless I die. I've been raised with Christ. And I now share his life I will be glorified Be glorified Be glorified Oh, yes I am I am a citizen Yes I am I am a citizen A citizen of heaven I'm not of this world Oh, I wait I wait For the Lord from above I wait I wait For the God of love Oh, yes I am I am a citizen Yes, I am. Oh, I am a citizen, citizen of heaven. I'm not of this world. I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm not of this world. Thank you, and I'll hang up the guitar I'll be right back with you.
<laughs> All right. I'm just trying to untangle these stupid monitors. <laughs> oh my gosh! You saw me. I, I should leave the camera, uh, the uh, the camera on the on the uh, where I am. You crack up. Anyways, talking about somebody's having fun. All right. All right. Good morning to all of you again. And uh, could you turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter one, verse one? Ephesians chapter one, verse one. And uh, we're going to uh, continue our study of uh, this epistle uh, Paul wrote to not only the Ephesian Christian community, as we've been pointing out, but the various Christian communities throughout the Roman province of Asia. And uh, Paul, uh, John wrote to them as well, not only in Revelation chapters 2 and 7, those seven churches in Asia, but also in First John he was writing to them. And Paul did it many years before, 30 years before Paul uh, John did it at the end of the first century. So we're going to be looking at today, the, uh, in, this is the first of two hours in our study of Ephesians 1-4. So we're going to do two hours in Ephesians 1-4. We did three in verse one, uh, 3, Ephesians 1-3. So today we'll be in the, begin the first hour of a two-hour study of Ephesians 1-4. There's a lot in it. That's why a lot of times I'll break it out into uh, a verse, and it, you know, so, especially with Paul. It takes something in, in the epistles. You can take propositions and you can do a lot. Uh, there's a lot of messages. <laughs> there's a, messages and a lot of messages you can get in these verses. And so uh, with a narrative, we wouldn't be doing that. A lot of times I'd take big, you know, like when we did Exodus or Genesis. When Exodus, we did, sometimes we did a whole chapter in one lesson. So uh, we can do that. But with, the, with epistles of Paul, it's hard to do that. In the Gospels, you can take big, bigger sections, of course, like a paragraph or something. Because uh, then historical, a lot of his historical narrative stuff. So, but anyways, this is what uh, we'll be looking at today. We'll be looking at uh, beginning. Look at the first statement, Ephesians one four, which teaches us that the Father elected the Church Age believer, you and I, in eternity past because of Christ. And of course, that's because of our faith in Christ, the justification, and simultaneously, at that moment, uh, the Holy Spirit identified us with Christ in His crucifixion, resurrection, crucifixion, crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, session right here in the Father, which provided us our so great salvation and restored mankind to its rightful place as ruler over the works of God's hands, which uh, is presently not the case because of Satan has usurped the authority of uh, Adam and Eve, our, our forefathers, our father, the our original parents, uh, back at the, in the Garden of Eden. And of course, the last Adam, Jesus Christ, has defeated the works of the devil, 1 John 3, 8. And now we're calling, the Father's calling out through the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit a, a bride for His Son. And uh, so we're in a very honored position. And we're seated at the right hand of the Father, which is, you can't get any higher in life. <laughs> oh, gosh, I tell you what, I, I you know, it really, it really burns, it bugs me. And, you know, especially... Uh, was, I, I was a friend of mine, really good friend, and I, he passed away uh, back in 2019. And uh, I used to talk to him. You know, I, I would teach, you know, my congregation this all the time. You hear me talk about your union identification with Christ. God looks at you as He looks at His Son. In fact, I wrote a song back at Prairie View, Jesus Colored Glasses. Remember my congregation? Oh, He looks at us through Jesus Colored Glasses. Yes. And so that's just so important because that's how you define who you are. <laughs> and if you don't do that. The devil will get to you, and you got to my friend. And uh, you know you're you're not you don't define yourself by how smart you are, how much money you have, your looks, because all that can be taken away, and will be taken away one way or the other. Uh, you don't you can't uh, define yourself by the house you own, or the person you're married to, or the kids you have, or the parents you have, or you know what college you went to, and how much scholarship money you had or any of that. You know, how many hit songs you wrote, how many Super Bowls you won. 
just that's because all that stuff is really at the end of the day, it's temporary. Um, the only thing you should define as a believer, you should define yourself by the fact that God loves you. You're created in the image of God and you define yourself by the fact that you're in union with Christ and God loves you. He did. He put you in union with Christ because he loves you and in me. So very important. And I just, you know, it'll change you. If you understand this, it'll transform your prayer life. I remember there's a person from Africa. We used to do the, be able to do the books. We didn't have, we don't have the money to do that now. But when I, in fact, you don't, we don't really need to do the books, but if you just go to our website, you'll see that Productive Prayer Life book. Uh, uh, we, I actually updated it a couple of years ago when I taught on prayer, but um, the, you know, uh, it's in PDF format on our, in our written library under Christ, uh, Spiritual Life, Productive Prayer Life, and I, I go into this and uh, about your union identification with Christ. So when you go to the Father in prayer, you you got to remember that you're always seated at the, the Father's, you're seated at the right hand of the Father. So just, if you need to do a, 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 somebody here in DVC like what I gave the analogy I said just put a chair there pretend it's the father okay and you're sitting at his right hand okay and just talk to him because he's he's there you're there at the at the throne of God above Satan above the elect angels you can't get any higher than this okay in life so uh, just just and the other guy I told me the guy this he was a, he was a, a poor he was a poor, poor pastor in Nigeria and uh, we couldn't keep the books on the shelves because of those people over there in Nigeria at the seminary. And he says it transformed his prayer life. And I just, hey, if I get one person can get that, you know, if I get one person who listens to me and gets what I'm teaching, that, hey, it was worth it, you know. If one person gets it. I mean, I, I don't know how many people get what I'm teaching you know, half the time anyways, but uh, and I, I don't get discouraged about it. I just I'm, As long as I'm faithful and I try to do, be better, get better as a teacher and get better and follow the Spirit's guidance and direction and whatever I can to get better as a pastor and as a communicator and as a, as more, more importantly, as a Christian, because uh, we're good if I'm a lousy Christian and a, good, and a great communicator. Um, so I, this is a very important study. With the, Ephesians is great. This, <laughs> this is going to be a great book to study and it's off to a bang right now. So, all right, um, let's take a moment of silent prayer. This is our custom. We take a moment of silent prayer to examine ourselves to determine if we're in fellowship with God because any mental, verbal, or overactive sin that we knowingly commit will cause us to lose fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But according to 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins to the Father, He, God, the Father, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. In other words, He purifies us from each and every wrongdoing. We maintain that fellowship by obeying the Spirit who speaks to us through the Scriptures which He's inspired. <clears throat> and that's when we're obeying the commands of Ephesians 5, 18 to be filled with the Spirit. And Colossians 3, 16 to let the Word of Christ richly dwell in our souls. So if there's anything that's bothering you, disturbing you, distracting to you, do what 1 Peter 5, 7 says. Cast all your anxieties upon the Lord because He cares for you. So with that in mind, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given to us. Another uh, beautiful day down here in Alabama. We thank you, Father, for uh, the great uh, warm weather that's come in a little bit early. We might probably break a record today from 1918. This will be the warmest day maybe of the, of, since 1918 here in Alabama. And thank you for bringing me down here in the south where it's nice and warm. And all my family and friends up in Massachusetts shoveling snow and freezing. <laughs> 
So thank you. Yeah, you know, it's amazing how things have changed. I mean, a year ago I was shoveling two feet of snow in Massachusetts and living with my father and trying to help him with the um, situation with my mother. And now here I am in Alabama with a, a congregation down here that loves the word of God and uh, still broadcasting for Winston Bible Ministries for my people who have been following me faithful for, for a long time now. And I thank you for your faithfulness to this ministry. I thank you for getting me down here to Alabama safely and getting me acclimated. And uh, the people down here, they've been so wonderful and the positive volition that we have here. And also on Winston Bible Ministries, people who have been supporting this ministry from its inception back in uh, just in 2001, August 2001, which seems a long time ago. And uh, just thank you for your faithfulness to myself, my ministry, and uh, my congregation, my f family. I thank you, Father, for um, the people you've raised up that are in this ministry over the years that have been faithful stewards of the time, talent, and treasure and truth that you've given them. And thank you for the wonderful people I've met in uh, in ministry, and I thank you for the trials and tribulations too. And uh, in fact, I, I probably thank you about those more because those have done more for me adversity than the prosperity has ever done. I thank you for this study in Ephesians. I pray it would be a blessing to the body of Christ. I pray today that you would help me to communicate your full counsel today with regards to this passage in Ephesians 1.4, and particularly this first statement we're going to note, Father, the, that you elected us and eternity passed because of your son, Jesus Christ. And I just pray, Father, that you help me be sensitive to the Spirit's guidance and direction. Use me mightily by the Spirit and uh, so that your people can receive their necessary spiritual nourishment. And I pray that for your people, that you would work mightily and powerfully through them as well. Help them by the power of the Spirit to understand and apply and concentrate upon what we're being, we'll be teaching here today. I pray that as a result, they'll be able to receive their necessary spiritual nourishment and continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, your Son, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So it is in His name we pray. Amen. Alrighty, if you could turn in your Bibles, if you haven't done so already, let's go to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. As I said before the opening prayer, we're looking at the first of two hours in Ephesians 1, 4 today. And uh, today we'll be looking at the first statement, of course, in Ephesians 1.4, which teaches us that the Father, again, elected the church-age believer, you and I, in eternity past because of His Son, Jesus Christ. So, as I've been doing, let's read the first 14 verses. And uh, today uh, we'll read from, I've been reading from the ESV lately, but uh, let's look at the Net Bible. I'll read the first 14 verses in the Net Bible, and then I'll read from my translation as well, the first 14 verses, and then... We'll look at verse 4 in detail for the rest of the class, of course. So, it says in Ephesians 1.1, 1, 1, and I'm reading again from the Net Bible today. From Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints at Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ. For He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and unblemished in His sight. In love, He did this by predestinating us to adoption as His sons through Jesus Christ according to the pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace that He freely bestowed on us in His dearly loved Son. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace that He lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He did this when He revealed to us the secret of His will according to His good pleasure that he set forth in Christ toward the administration of the fullness of the times to head up all things in Christ, the things in heaven and the things on earth. In Christ, we too have been claimed as God's own possession since we predestined 
we were predestined according to the one purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who were the first to set our hope on Christ, would be to the praise of his glory. And when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed in Christ, you were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit, who, the promised Holy Spirit, is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Now, uh, before we read my translation of those exact same verses, uh, briefly to um, reiterate what we've been po- we pointed out thus far in our eight-hour introduction and also our study of the first three verses. Uh, we saw that this book was penned by Paul in, while under house arrest in Rome, uh, waiting his appeal before Caesar, and that's uh, around 62 A.D., between 60 and 62 A.D., more, probably more likely toward the end of that imprisonment, which ended up in his release. Uh, and also, this was, uh, he is the sole, he's the author, he's the sole author. Uh, this was not somebody, it's not, this is not a pseudonymous letter, as many contend, as we pointed out, because uh, this is, uh, this is, Paul puts his name to it. He mentions that he's incarcerated, and uh, the church is always recognized throughout our history, not until modern times, uh, but uh, that has anybody dissented from this, that Paul was the author. And the church uh, dis- did not practice pseudonymity. Uh, in fact, as we pointed out, Tertullian makes mention in, on his work on baptism that a pastor who revered Paul, who was trying to increase his fame, posed as Paul in one of his letters to the churches, and they, dis- they, they disbarred him. <laughs> they, disbarred. They, they kicked him out of the fellowship of the church. Or they, they, he, he was no longer a pastor. And that's because they didn't tolerate pseudonymous letters. And also Paul, he never ex- accepted that either. We know that from Colossians 4.18 and also Galatians 6.11, in particular 2 Thessalonians. Because remember that book in chapter 2, Paul was concerned that somebody uh, had, uh, had po- said a pseudonymous letter saying that they were him and, and asserting that the day of the Lord had taken place. And he said, that's even if it's a letter allegedly from us, you're to reject that because that's false doctrine. And he if actually he says in, the, in 2 Thessalonians 3, 17, 18, that he put his authenticating mark on the letter so they, to prevent, prevent forgeries. So the church at no point accepted uh, pseudonymous letters. And so the church has for centuries always uh, looked at Paul as being the author of Ephesians. And it wasn't until modern times that this has changed. And of course, that's, uh, again, the modern day arrogance we have in scholarship because the early church knew more about it, especially when it comes to authorship and canonicity of books that they knew better than, they were closer to the original autographs than we were and the the writers. And so we also saw the recipients of this letter were uh, not just Christians in in Ephesus, but the various Christian communities throughout the Roman province of Asia uh, which uh, we pointed out uh, would probably be the seven churches, particular, definitely be the seven churches of Asia that's mentioned by John in Revelation 2 and 7. As I said before the opening prayer in the previous times, First John was written to this same uh, Christian community throughout the Roman province of Asia. We know this is the case with Ephesians, that this is a circular letter intended for more than one Christian community, more than just Ephesus is because there's, uh, there's no personal greetings in this letter, which we would expect since, according to Acts 18, 19, and 20, Paul spent three years there. But we don't see any personal greetings, which we would expect. Second of all, the prepositional phrase in Ephesus, in particular the word Ephesus, is not found in the best and in, uh, in, in latest manuscripts. Uh, and that doesn't mean to say in Ephesus was not in a lot of manuscripts. It was, but it, just not, it was not in the best and oldest that we have. 
And so that's another indication that we have a pseudonymous letter, pseudonymous letter. And I, I agree with Dan Wallace's um, his uh, theory, which I think is pretty close to what what really happened, is that uh, this was written by Paul, sent to uh, if Ephesus. They made that was his base of operations when he was. Uh, uh, when he was in F in the Roman province of Asia, it was Ephesus, and they made the most copies there, and that's why the most survived. Uh, most have the prepositional phrase in Ephesus in it. That's why we have more of those than we do some of the uh, the the oldest have. They don't always have that. Uh, and but uh, we saw that uh, Martian, another one of the ancients, he recognizes this letter, and he says it was to, at the letter to the Laodiceans that Paul mentions in, at the end of Colossians. And of course, uh, so this was the same uh, contents, but a different address, uh, a different recipient, which was the church at Laodicea. So we don't have any copies of that, but we know from Martian that there was a copies that existed there. So they got to Ephesus, they went down the road to Laodicea, Laodicea and then from there, it, 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 it moved across the Roman province of Asia and throughout the Roman Empire. So then we saw that uh, the body of the letter, the, the, we have a spirit-inspired greeting, uh, in the in verse two, where uh, this is something that Paul prayed for the recipients of this letter that uh, the grace and in, in the form of the spirit inspired contents of this letter would be uh, manifested uh, among the recipients of this letter, which would result not only in peace in their souls as individuals, but also when interacting with each other. And then we saw in chapter uh, one, verse three, we see the beginning of the letter, or the the body of the letter, and we have the preface of the letter. In, uh, in Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, which is in the form of a doxology and uh, a praise to the Father. And we saw it's actually broken out. You can outline it pretty interestingly enough, easy, very easy enough in, in, the, this, in this prologue. Uh, Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, we have verses 3 through 6 talk about uh, the Father's work on our behalf in eternity past and electing and predestinating us. And, uh, and then, um, and that's for the praise of his glory, as he says in verse six, then in verses seven through 12, we have a discussion of, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ's work and redemption at the cross, which was also for the praise of the father's glory, as it says in verse 12. And then in verse 13, we have, um, the discussion of the spirit's work at our justification in verses 13 and 14, which was also to the praise of his glo the father's glory, as we saw in verse 14. And so we have a triadic pattern in this prologue. And we also actually, as we pointed out in the last class, we have a triadic pattern in verse 3 itself. And so uh, with that um, introduction out of the way, let's go look at my translation of the first four, 14 verses of Ephesians chapter 1 and then look at verse 4, uh, Ephesians 1, 4 in detail, in, fact, in particular the first statement there. So it says in my translation in verses 1 and 2, from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will, uh, to the saints who are living in Ephesus, specifically to those who are believers in Christ Jesus, may the grace, the grace originating from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ resulting in peace cause itself to be manifested for the benefit of each and every one of you. Then we have verses 3 to 5. Uh, verses 3 to 5, it says, The God, namely the Father of our Lord, ruling over us, who is Jesus Christ, is worthy of praise, namely because he is the one who has blessed each and every one of us by means of each and every kind of spirit, appropriated blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. Notice the chain. I have the capital S there because I'm interpreting like uh, Douglas uh, uh, Gordon Fee does that uh, these are blessings he's talking about that were appropriated by the spirit. And uh, panumatikos, the word spiritual there in your modern translations, 
they translate this word as an adjective, which it is, but it's uh, it's more likely to be a spirit-appropriated blessing rather than just spiritual blessings. In fact, even if you have spiritual blessings as the translation, uh, we know that these are spiritual because they're appropriated by the Holy Spirit, okay? And he does that at the moment of our justification. And then it says in verse four, for he chose us, the Father chose us, each and every one of us, for his own purpose because of him alone, because before creation, in order that each and every one of us would be holy as well as uncensurable in his judgment, he did this by predestinating each and every one of us for the purpose of adoption as sons because of his love through Jesus Christ for himself according to the pleasure of his will. Then it says in verse 6, this was for the purpose of praising his glorious grace which he freely bestowed on each and every one of us because of the one who is divinely loved. Then we have in verses 7 and 8, because of whom... Christ, each of us are experiencing that which is the redemption through his blood, namely the forgiveness of our transgressions, according to his infinite grace. This he provided in abundance for the benefit of each and every one of us because of the exercise of a wisdom which is absolute and divine in nature, resulting in the manifestation of an insight which is absolute and divine in nature. Then we have in verses 9 and 10, we have this. He did this by revealing... Uh, the mystery of his will for the benefit of each and every one of us according to his pleasure, which he planned beforehand because of our faith in and union identification with himself. This was for the dispensation, which brings to completion the various periods of history, namely to unite for the benefit of himself each and every animate and inanimate object in the sphere of the sovereign authority of the person of the one and only Christ, specifically to unite for the benefit of himself those things in the heavens as well as those things on the earth and the sphere of the sovereign authority of himself. And then we have in verses 11 and 12, it says, because of whom Christ, each and every one of us have been claimed as a possession because of having been predestinated according to the predetermined plan, namely the one who is causing each and every animate and inanimate object to function according to his purpose, that is his sovereign will, in order that each and every one of us would belong to a particular group of people, namely, those who are certain of possessing a confident expectation of blessing because of their faith in and union identification with the one and only Christ for the purpose of praising his glory. And then finally in verses 13 and 14, we have the discussion of the Spirit's work at justification, correspondingly because of whom Christ, each and every one of you were sealed by means of the omnipotence of the one and only promised Spirit who is holy because each and every one of you obeyed the one and only message, which is truth, namely, the proclamation of the one and only gospel, which produced your salvation as a result of obeying it, specifically because each of you believed in him. There you go. The spirit, verse 14, is the down payment of our inheritance until he redeems his possession for the praise of his glory. So we see that in Ephesians 1.3, uh, as we noted in our study of Ephesians 1.3, that this verse marks a transition in this epistle from the introduction to the preface of the letter in Ephesians 1, 3-14, which marks the beginning of the body of the letter, as we pointed out. Now, this preface uh, begins the first major section of the letter, which ends in Ephesians 3.21, we pointed out. And this section addresses the unity of the church positionally. Then in, in verses chapters 4, 5, and 6, Paul discusses the application of the indicatives. The pro, he talks, brings out the imperatives which are related to the indicatives in the first three chapters. In other words, the application of the first three chapters are found in Ephesians 4, 5, and 6. 
We also noted that in Ephesians 1.3, this verse contains two declarative statements. Uh, the first is elliptical, and the second is epexegetical, and the second is also a causal clause, which presents the reason for the first, which is, and it asserts that the Father is worthy of praise in the sense that he possesses attributes which are worthy of praise. Now, the second declarative statement, as I said before, is causal, and it identifies specifically for the reader why the Father is worthy of praise, and it asserts that he is the one, the Father is the one who has blessed Paul and the recipients of this letter, and all church-age believers, for that matter, by means of every kind of spirit-appropriated blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. Then, in verse 4, Paul presents the second reason why the Father is worthy of praise. In this verse, as we saw in my translation and the Net Bible, he asserts that he chose each and every church-age believer for his own purpose before the act of creating the time-matter-space continuum, as we'll see, in order that we would be holy and unblemished in his judgment. Therefore, a comparison of the contents of verses 3 and 4 would indicate that the Father is worthy of praise, first of all, because he chose Paul and the recipients of this letter and all church-age believers for his own purpose in Christ before creating creation, before the time, creating the time-matter-space continuum. And he did this in order that we would be holy and unblemished in his judgment. So, let me just see from my translation here. I know I, I just read you from my translation of verse 3, but I just want to check something if I changed up the translation for verse 4 because um, it, it appears I, I originally had time, matter, space, continuum, and then I, I, other places I have uh, wor uh, world. Yeah, see, um, if you look at my translation here on the board, for he chose us, the Father chose us, each and every one of us, for his own purpose because of him, Christ alone, before the act of creating the time, matter, space, continuum, which is the world, in other words in order that each and every one of us would be holy as well as unsensual in, in his judgment. So if I look at my, my notes here, it looks like I, I had a uh, world in here. I had time, span, and space continuum. And, uh, and, but on my, my translation of overall, I didn't change that to time, span, and space continuum, which is not a big deal. You get, I've actually, this translation, creating the time, span, and space continuum, continuum rather than creating the world is, uh, is bringing out exactly what it, Paul means by the word world, cosmos. So, again, Ephesians 1.4, Paul's presenting the second reason why the Father is worthy of praise. The first reason is found in, in verse 3, as we pointed out. In verse 4, he, he asserts that he chose, the Father chose each and every one of us for his own purpose before the act of creating the time out of space continuum, the world. And he did this, the purpose of doing this was that we would be holy and unblemished in his judgment. So therefore, again, a comparison of the contents of verses 3 and 4 indicates that the Father is worthy of praise because he chose Paul and the recipients of this letter and all church-age believers for that matter for his own purpose in Christ before creating the time and space continuum in order that we would be holy and unblemished in his judgment. So this particular statement is causal. And if you look at the Net Bible, verse 4, they had the word for. And so that is telling us they're using a word that's causal in the English, F-O-R, the N-I-V. Uh, they have the same thing. They have four. The ESV has, quite interestingly enough, they have even as, okay? So that's interesting as well because usually, and the reason why they did that, and let's see if there's other ones that uh, have that. So let me uh, talk about this a little bit because so you uh, give an explanation for this. And uh, let me just get my English translations up here instead of these Greek ones. Um Greek uh, text. Uh, so, 
here we go. All right, here we go. Uh, so we have the Lexham Bible. They have, in verse 4, just as, okay? And there's a reason why they have just as, ESV and the Lexham Bible. And uh, and that's, but if you notice the Net Bible and the NIV, they don't do that. In fact, the NRSV, they have just as as well. The New Living Translation has even as, and the New American Standard 95 version has just as as well to begin the verse. However, the the Holman Christian Bible, uh, Standard Bible, is has F-O-R to begin the sentence. So, the reason why those translations have even as or just as is because of the word kathos. Because you see this word here, that's what it looks like in the Greek, kathos. And so it can be used, usually, uh, this word is used in a comparative sense. It's comparing two things, whatever they are. Sometimes it can be used in a causal sense. Now, how do you know which is which? It's all about the context, people. And uh, it's really, you know, one of the things they, I think guys, need, when they teach syntax, Greek syntax or Hebrew syntax for that matter, is is really, to, you know, to understand a use of a conjunction. So this is an adverb here. You have conjunctions that that uh, do this sort of thing too. Like the conjunction gar in Greek is a lot of times translated for, F-O-R, or because. But it can be used in different ways. It doesn't always have to be translated like that. It has a wide semantic range. And so the reason why that is is because it depends on the context. So what's going to determine the, the use of the, the, the conjunction or the adverb in this case, kathos, is the statements it's comparing or the, the two statements it's linking up. So when you look at it, you say, okay, is this more causal idea or is this a more comparative idea? And so in my view... It's comparative. Uh, excuse me. It's causal. That's why I translate it because. And I agree with the Net Bible and the, the NIV is, is it should be translated F-O-R in a causal sense. So let me give you my reasons. But first, before I give you my reasons, this verb, kathos, introduces the assert... And by the way, I have a typo in my notes. I found it, so I apologize for those who get my notes. Um, it says the ad... In my notes, it says the adverb kathos, which introduces this assertion in Ephesians 1.4, is not introducing... A statement which presents the reason why the Father has blessed uh, us. Well, it's it get rid of the not. It's it's, it's a typo. So, the word kathos, is, which introduces verse four, is in fact introducing a statement which presents the reason why the Father has blessed Paul and recipients of this epistle by means of each and every kind of spirit appropriated blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. And now here's my reasons why I think it's causal rather than comparative. It's indicated by the fact that this statement, as we noted, is exegetical, and that it identifies specifically for the reader why the Father is worthy of praise. Thus, the second statement in Ephesians 1.3 is presenting the first reason why the Father is worthy, worthy of praise, and Ephesians 1.4 is presenting the second reason. Furthermore, the Father could not logically bless the church-age believer until he first elected them, in which election it manifested itself in time when the Father declared you and I as church-age believers justified through faith in his one and only son, Jesus Christ. And once the father elected us, then he could bless us. He can't bless us if he hasn't elected us. It's just common sense. So therefore, the first reason presented in verse three is expressed by the participle conjugation of the verb eulogeo, as we pointed out. And that functions, as we noted, as a causal participle. And the second reason in verse four is marked by the adverb kathos. So the expression in verse four which is, uh, let's see if I can get it for you, ex, ex tao, 
uh, Hamas and Ato Pro Caraboles Cosmu. So X L Elizato X Elizato Hamas and Ato Pro Caraboles Cosmu is the word the phrase in the Greek which is introduced by this adverb kathos. And I translate it again. He chose us. The Father chose us. Each and every one of us for his own purpose because of him alone, Christ, before the act of creating the time matter space continuum. And that refers to the doctrine of election, as we'll point it out, as we'll point out. So, uh, so here we have uh, uh, the second uh, verse four is presenting the second reason. It's presenting the second reason as to why, um, as to, as to why this, uh, the father is, is worthy of praise. And uh, in uh, in the um, uh, worthy of praise, so we got the first reason in verse three, and the second statement, and then we have the first, uh, second re- the second reason isn't found in verse four. He elected us. It's another reason why he's worthy of praise. So again, when we talk about this expression, and uh, let me just um, if you actually look at my uh, look at my translation again, and I'll flip it up here. My this other uh, translation. Look at Ephesians 1.3 again, my translation. All right, I'm just looking over at my, my other uh, computer over here, my laptop. All right, so look at my translation of verse 3 and 4 again. Ephesians 1, 3, The God, namely the Father of the Lord ruling over us, who is Jesus Christ, is worthy of praise. And now we're going to get the reasons. In the next statement is epigenetical and causal. Namely, he's worthy of praise because of this. Because he is the one who has blessed each and every one of us by means of every kind of spirit, uh, every kind of spirit-appropriated blessing in the heavenlies in Christ, and then here's the second reason. For he chose each and every one of us for his own purpose, because of him alone, before the act of creating the time, matter, space continuum, in order that each and every one of us would be holy as well as uncensurable in his judgment. So again, the word kathos in verse 4 is introduced, which introduces this assertion in verse 4, is introducing a statement which presents the reason why the Father is blessed Paul and the recipients of this epistle and all church age believers by means of each and every kind of spirit appropriated blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. This is indicated by the fact that this statement, as we noted, is epexegetical and that it identifies specifically for the reader why the Father is worthy of praise. Thus, the second statement in verse 3 is presenting the first reason why the Father is worthy of praise, and Ephesians 1 4 is presenting the second reason. Furthermore, God the Father could not logically bless the church-age believer until he first elected them, and which election manifests itself in time when the Father declared the church-age believer justified through faith in his one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Once he elected them, then he could bless them. Therefore, the first reason presented in verse 3 is expressed by the participle conjugation of the verb eulogatno, as we pointed out. That functions as a causal participle, as we noted in that class when we looked at this uh, particular um, participial clause, it gives us the second reason, and it's marked by, the second reason is marked by the 
it gives the first reason, this word eulogeo, the causal participle, and the second reason is marked by the adverb kathos, F-O-R in your English translations, uh, in verse 4. So, we see that the expression, which is ex ella zato, hemas and hato, pro kataboles kazmu, which I translate, he the Father chose each and every one of us for his own purpose because of him alone before the act of creating the time matter space continuum. That expression is speaking of the doctrine of election. So this word eklegomai is telling, uh, which is uh, the verb here. And so this refers, election refers to God the Father in eternity past electing those members of the human race who will be declared justified by the Father through faith in his Son, Jesus Christ. He elected them in the sense that the Father, in his foreknowledge, which is based upon his omniscience, knew before anything was ever created that you and I, the church age believer, would believe in his Son in time. In other words, the Father elected us before the foundation of the world since he knew beforehand that we would accept his Son, Jesus Christ, as Savior in time. So he elected us in the sense, he elected us the privilege of possessing an eternal relationship and a fellowship with himself and the other two members of the Trinity. So, very important we understand this. The doctrine of election is never, ever, ever, ever used in Scripture in relation to the non-Christian. And the reason why that is, is two passages in particular, and there's many others, is this. 1 Timothy 2.4 God desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. All people means all people, not the elect. Okay? All people. It's never, it, there's nothing in the context that's just talking about the elect. He means all people and he means it. Okay? It's, it's all people. I can't stress that enough. And so, if, that, if he desires all people to be saved, how would in the world would he contradict himself? God doesn't contradict himself, but people do. And their crazy theologies uh, don't stick to the word of God. Some people are, who are ridiculous, crazy Calvinists and I, that are like, they, 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 they will out and out reject what the scriptures just saying blatantly and they'll come up with creative ideas to get around it. There's no such thing as double predestination. God didn't elect the, the non-believer to go to hell because he desires all people to be saved. Simple as that. And uh, that's 1 John 2, 2. He's the propitiation for all of our sins and not just our sins, the church, but the whole world. There's a, clearly a distinction there. And you see that with 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. Let me, let me get you that for a second. Oh, look at that. Isn't that something? Holy Spirit, we should point me right in that direction. <laughs> 1 Timothy 4, 10. In, in fact, this is why we work hard and struggle because we have set our hope on the living God and the living God is what? The Savior of all people, especially of believers. So he's marking a distinction. See that? For my Calvinist friends, brothers and sisters in Christ that I love very much. Come on, guys. Look at this. Listen to the Holy Spirit. He's saying it right there. He's the Savior of all people, especially of believers. Okay, he's marking a distinction just like he did in 1 John 2.2. 2. And so he, he desires all people to be saved. How can he elect some to like a fire when he desires all people to be saved? He doesn't contradict himself. We must be contradicting ourselves if we see a, if there's some kind of a problem going on there. If there's kind of some discrepancy. Second Peter 3.9 The Lord is not slow concerning his promise. Blow the screen back up for you. The Lord is not slow concerning his promise to come back in context as some regard slowness but is being patient toward you because he does not wish for any to perish but for all to come to repentance, a change of attitude. So, we see that election is always used in relation to the believer. No, there's never one passage. I don't care how many degrees you have or where you went to college or what you went to seminary. 
There's no passage that you have that says that God elected anybody to the lake of fire. They got none. You know, so it's like, so if you don't have it, maybe you need to change what you're doing. Some people are married to, they treat their, you know, all of our theological systems, I don't care if you're dispensationalist, okay, or covenant theology, whatever you do, whatever your theological construct is, and we all have some kind of theological construct, we need to be aware of that, right? So we need to approach the scripture, though, if so, if it contradicts our theological construct, we need to be, do something, with something, we need to adjust to what the Spirit's teaching us in the scriptures. That's what we all want to do, right? Okay, so... Uh, there's some things that, um, you know, that uh, we have to, you know, we can't be married to a theological system if it's not totally accurate, okay? And so, um, let's say, hey, there's some people that I've had that are, I'm a dispensationalist. I'd be considered a dispensationalist. Most people consider me a dispensationalist, and I don't mind. Don't care. But there's some things with dispensationalists, they would like, you believe that? And I'll give you one of the examples. Like, and I, I had to change because it's in the scriptures, okay? So whatever your view of dispensation, maybe it needs to be changed a little bit, tweaked a little bit to, maybe I, maybe I, you know, I'm not the only one who sees this. Maybe we need to adjust things, you know? So for instance, I, I say that, you know, people say, oh, the church is not, the, the, the church is not the new Israel. That's right, but the, you know, the remnant of Israel is in the church. <laughs> There's two races in the church. Regenerate Israel, there's one race, the Jews. So what's interesting is the, pro, the, the, the Jesus told his apostles in the Gospels that he would, each of them would reign, reign over the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, he, they, they also, these same apostles are the, their teaching is the foundation of the church, right? And Ephesians says this, right? With chief, Christ being the chief cornerstone. So the remnant of Israel, the Gentile believers in the church, are united to the Jewish believers in the church, Messianic Jews in our day and age, and we're united and we benefit from the covenants that were given to the Jewish people, which the, the believing remnant in the church, Jewish remnant in the church, has appropriated those blessings of the new covenant. And so Gentile believers, because we're united to Jewish believers, we benefit from that being united to them and with the new humanity, both Jew and Gentile. So in a sense, yeah, the church is distinct from Israel, but the remnant of Israel is in the church. So there's, uh, you know, you can't say that, you can't say that, uh, you know, the remnant of Israel, I mean, the believers, okay, not, you know, unregenerate Jews, I'm talking about believing Jews, uh, we, you know, they're, they're connected to the church, they're part of the church, their teaching is the foundation of the church, the apostles are, and they're, okay, and they're going to rule over the 12 tribes of Israel at the same time. So well, there is a connection to the remnant of Israel, believing remnant in the church, so, uh, so one of the things that we see with dispensationalists is we believe that there's a restoration of, the, of, the, of, the, of Israel in the future and a national regeneration of Israel in the future the second advent of Christ. So, but I, what I mentioned is that some people disagree with me that are dispensationalists and they, they think I'm you know, teaching heresy or something. I was like, no, look at what I just said. And again, I got scripture, so what are you going to tell me? You know, it's like, it's right there. You can argue till you're blue in your face. It's just that now... You know, people are very, um, by nature, we're kind of like uh, pig-headed. <laughs> we, we can be pig-headed. And uh, notice I'm saying we. You know, you can be aware of that. You know, it's like, okay, just you know, just make sure, you know, there's no, you know, it's not, you know, I don't think like, for instance, um, progressive dispensationalists. I don't agree. And I, I respect Daryl Bach and, and Blazing and those guys. 
I don't believe in, I, I think Christ is not on the Davidic throne. It's an earthly throne. And then, so they think he's already on there. And I, I've read there what they've said, and I've read there, and I disagree with them. I think their exegesis is, is not right. But I still respect them. I don't think that they're heretics because they teach that, you know. It's just, it's, you know, they see it a little bit differently. I don't think, you know, it'd be different if, you know, all of a sudden, you know, uh, Dr. Darrell Barker's like, you know, teaching that, uh, you know, there's, there's no such thing as the Trinity or, you know, Jesus is not both God. I mean, of course, he, he's very orthodox, you know. He's one of the great uh, scholars of the, the tw uh, an American 20th and 21st century. I, re I respect him. And he's a great man. Uh, I haven't met him personally, but, I, you know, but he's, you know, done a lot of great stuff and I've benefited from it. But, you, the, the, so you, yeah, you, you just, you know, it depends. The foundational non-negotiable doctrines like the Trinity, faith alone and Christ alone, justification, atonement, Confession of sin; those things we can't negotiate with. But when it comes to interpretation, and I don't think we should be married to dispensationalists. If you know, if, I think dispensationalists are more accurate, obviously more accurate than covenant theology, because some of the covenants they have are not found in Scripture. That's why I don't agree with them. In fact, covenant theology is, I think, is more uh, dispensationalists are more ancient than the covenant theologians theologians are. In fact, covenant theology is not very old. So. So anyways, and then we have this whole thing with the Calvinism thing and Arminius and everything. I, somebody, when we're talking about election here, is only related to the believer and, you know, unlimited atonement, not limited atonement. And, uh, you know, when talking about that, it's kind of interesting is that, you know, people have, got, you know, they always go to my Romans 9. When I did the series on Romans, they, they always go to Romans 9, you know, for the, to, I, to debate, uh, argue that against Arminius and Calvinists. And I go to, the, I went to and joined this group with, uh, Arminius and Calvinists, and I just, I got out of it. It's like, it's the same arguments, the same things they say to each other. No one's listening to each other. And I know exactly what the other person is going to say before they say it, in both sides, you know? So somebody said, well, you an Arminius, Arminius or a Calvinist? I go, neither. <laughs> I said, there's some things about Arminianism, I agree with free will, but I don't think you could lose your salvation like they believe. So I don't believe that, I don't, I don't I subscribe to their theory. Uh, Calvinism, really, Calvin was unlimited atonement. I got, I got, I got I got it in his is uh, some a pastor sent it to me and I got it somewhere in my you know and uh, where he's highlighted and marker mimeograph paper whatever you know copy and he was you know, where Calvin teaches unlimited atonement. Basil was the one who really propagated limited atonement, meaning Christ just died for the elect. So I'm trying to answer this guy in an email. I said, well, you know, uh, yeah, the reason what the, the so the five point Calvinist, I'm I would be probably be a four point Calvinist. They'd call me. Because I don't believe in the L and tulip, you know. I believe I don't believe in limited atonement and uh, tulip. That's one of my. <laughs> so, anyways, the, that's all resolved if you think about the divine decree. I, I believe that the God, who's omniscient and sovereign, he he decreed that the the sovereign his sovereign will would coexist with the free will of human beings. So, therefore. Any person who tries to, anybody, any one of us in history, past, present, and future, has made a decision. It had to be decreed to take place. The Father sovereignly had to decide, yes, I'll let that decision take place. Doesn't coerce our volition. He just decreed that I will allow that decision to take place. Nothing happens, okay? Not even a, a sparrow falls to the ground without the Father saying, okay, it can fall, okay? So therefore, the Calvinists are so worried about the sovereignty of God being diminished. Okay, but if you listen to what I just said, uh, you'll find that uh, the sovereignty of God is not diminished in any way. So, and uh, a great, 
a great, uh, it was a Rob Thiem, Bob Thiem Jr. He did a book called Integrity God. And in his appendix, he had a thing on the divine decrees. I would get that. That is like brilliant. That's really good. Excellent. And there's other people out there who uh, have articulated very much, many things, much of what I've said as well. So, um, so anyways, this doctrinal election is being taught here in verse four, Ephesians 1, 4. And there are actually three elections, according to the scriptures, three elections uh, to privilege in history. We have Israel, obviously. There's Jesus Christ, Matthew 42, 1, Matthew, uh, Isaiah 42, 1, Matthew 12, 18, Luke 9, 35, 23, 35, 1 Peter 2, verses 4 through 6. Israel, you have uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 and 7, 10, 15, 14, 2, Isaiah 14, 1, 44, 1, 45, 4, Ezekiel 20, verse 5, Psalm 135, verse 4, Acts 13, 17, Romans 11, 5, 7, 28, just uh, some of the passages that are documentation for the election of Israel. And then we have the church, which is many places, Romans 8, 30 and 33, of course, Romans 9, 24 through 26, 1 Corinthians 1, 27. Um, I love this passage, 1 Corinthians, it says uh, in verse, 1 Corinthians one twenty seven. I love this, but I like it because I, I'm, I'm one of those foolish that are being used by God to shame the wise, but God shows what the world thinks foolish to shame the wise, there I am, I'm the one, the foolish, and, uh, and God shows what the world thinks weak to shame the strong, God shows what is low, here I am, thank you, and despised in the world, here I am, what is regarded as nothing to set aside what is regarded as something so that no one can boast in his presence and we also have uh we also have uh, of course ephesians 1 4 for documentation 118 414 philippians 3 14 colossians 3 12 it says in colossians 3 12 great passage book we studied in the past therefore as the elect of god holy and dearly love clothe yourselves with a heart of mercy kindness humility kindness a gentleness and patience bearing with one another and forgiving one another if someone happens to have a complaint against anyone else just as the lord has forgiven you so you also forgive others so let's look at ephesians chapter 1 verse uh, ephesians chapter 1 let's look at verse 4 again it says for he chose each and every one of us so for his own purpose. So each and every one of us is the accusative form, accusative first person, plural form, the personal pronoun ego. And it's referring, of course, to Paul and the recipients of this epistle and all church age believers. And as we noted, the recipients of this epistle were not only members of the Christian community in Ephesus, but also members of the various Christian communities in the Roman province of Asia. Now this word, as you can see, I translate it not just us, Okay, most translations have us, like the Net Bible. For he, where it is, let me get it back for you. For he chose us, okay? Ego. So it's correct to translate it us, us. That's what the ESV, everybody translates it like this. But I, me, of course, I'm a pain in the rear, right? I translate each and every one of us. Now, I'll explain why I do this. And you can disagree with me, and that's fine. I'm not, I, 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 you can say, actually translate this, each and every one of us as a corporate unit. Now, here's why. So, because Paul, and I see this with Paul. I, 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 from my view, it shows Paul's leaving nobody out. There's no exceptions here. He means everybody in the church. No exceptions. I, I really believe he's, he's emphasizing that, especially when he's talking about praying for somebody. He's concerned for each and every person in the Christian community, not just the ones he, you know, that are rich, you know, or the ones that are good looking. I don't know. So this word, I believe, is used in a distributive sense uh, and not just talking about the recipients of this letter is a corporate unit in Paul. It's using a, a distributive sense emphasizes no exceptions. 
Okay, so this would therefore express the idea that the Father has elected each and every one of us, quote unquote, and the recipients of this epistle in Paul, uh, he's elected each and every one of us, no exceptions. Okay, now the referent of the date of masculine singular form of the intensive personal pronoun autos, him alone is how I translate it, is Jesus Christ. The Net Bible says, for he chose us uh, in Christ, and interestingly enough, what the Net Bible does, which is Perfect, there's a perfect uh, example of uh, dynamic equivalence, and I agree with them doing this. They're making the referent explicit. It's Actually, it means in him, literally, in the Greek. Uh, here, in him. Out uh, in him. And here's the numeric, if you don't believe me, here's the, the NI, uh, the Nestle Alan text, and it says, in auto, okay? That means literally in himself, okay? In he himself, it's emphatic. Okay, so... That's referring to Jesus Christ, and that I agree with the Net Bible to do that because it's helping the reader understand, you know, who's the referent of the personal pronoun, which can get confusing in this passage. Okay, so this word actually, I believe, contains the figure of metonymy, which means that the person of Christ is put for the church age believers' faith in Christ, and not just that, but their union and identification with Him. How do I know this? What what's my support for this? Well, I believe it's indicated quite clearly by the fact that in eternity past. The Father in His omniscience saw that you and I, the church-age believer, would trust in His Son, Jesus Christ, as their Savior, which not only results in the Father declaring them justified, but also results in the Holy Spirit identifying them with Jesus and His crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, and session at the right hand of the Father. In other words, the Father elected you and I in eternity past because of the merits of the object of our faith, the justification, Jesus Christ, and also because of the merits of our union identification with who? Jesus Christ. Furthermore, the prepositional phrase, enato, which I translate because of him alone, is marking every church-age believer's faith in Christ at justification, as well as their union identification with him and his crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, and session of the right hand of the Father as the reason why the Father chose them before the foundation of the world and that they would be holy and unblemished in his judgment. So again, if you look at the, the NIV, it says, for he chose us in him. Well, I would say, if you look at that, he chose us in him. I believe in him is very ambiguous. I don't think Paul, I think Paul's using shorthand here. So in him, or as the Net Bible says, in Christ, in, in, in Christ in what sense? <laughs> I think it's causal. The preposition could be causal. It, you, it has that semantic usage, right? I believe he's saying it's because of Christ. In what sense? Because of what? Because of faith in Christ and our, our identification with Christ, the Father elected us. And he elected us because he saw in time that we would trust in his son and he knew he would declare us justified when we trusted in his son in time. And he would also knew that through the spirit he identified with Christ, identify us with Christ and place us in union with him. He, all, he knew that in eternity past. That's, that's why you can translate it like I do because of him alone. And as my, my good friend Jay Vernon McGee, who I never knew personally, who I can't wait to see when I get into heaven and meet because thank him for turning me on to the Bible. He used to say, if you want to be on the right interpretation, the right side, choose my side. And so I say to you, choose my side. <laughs> no, seriously, I think it's pretty good support there. So if you disagree with me, that's fine. Just don't forget to send me Christmas cards, though, still. Don't disown me. Now, the Father elected us to possess an eternal relationship and fellowship with himself and the other two members of the Trinity because in his omniscience, he saw that we would trust in his Son 
Jesus Christ as our Savior. So this resulted in the Holy Spirit identifying us with His Son in His crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection session at the right hand of the Father. So therefore, this prepositional phrase, and auto, which the, the Net Bible translates in Christ, and even though it means in Himself, uh, literally, I translate it as because of him alone, and it's indicating, because it's indicating that the election of the church age believer is non-meritorious. In other words, we didn't earn it or deserve it. We were saved by grace, weren't we? Through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone, according to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. We were elected based upon the merits of the object of our faith, Jesus Christ, and which faith agrees with God's grace policy towards sinners. So I think you should translate it because of him and him alone, because it's because of faith in him alone, and because of him, our faith in Him alone, we were identified with Christ and His crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, and session at the right hand of the Father, and that caused the Father eternity pass when He saw that would take place as a result of our decision to trust in His Son. That's why He elected us. He saw that. So, the word cosmos, which is translated world in your Bibles, the Net Bible, uh, before the foundation of the world He chose us, the uh, ESV, before the foundation of the world, uh, the NIV, before the creation of the world, okay? So, and I have, of course, I have, uh, what do I have here? Uh, because of, uh, for the act of creating a time out of space continuum. Well, mine's really dynamic equivalence, okay? I'm being more interpretive than even than the, the NIV. So, we see here that this word for world, cosmos, it refers to the time out of space continuum. That's why I translate it the way I do. If you translate it as world, that's fine too. Okay? I think mine, I'm trying to be more explicit and more interpretive because you're my audience and I'm interpreting for you. Now, the, this word katabole, which pertains to the act that's found in this text, which is translated, uh, the, um, the Net Bible, they translate the word foundation. Yeah, katabole, foundation. That word pertains to the act. Foundation actually pertains to the act of creating the time-matter-space continuum. In other words, it speaks the act of creating creation. <laughs> That's what his word means, katabole. So we see that, the, um, that this word is the object of the preposition pro, which functions as a temporal marker of a point of time prior to another point of time. In our context, the two points of time are the Father electing us in eternity past, and is creating, the other point of time, is creating the time matter space continuum through his one and only son, Jesus Christ. So therefore, this prepositional phrase, pro kataboles kasmu, which I translate before the act of creating the time matter space continuum, or as the Net Bible says, before the foundation of the world, the ESD, before the foundation of the world, the NIV, before the creation of the world, that prepositional phrase is expressing the idea that the Father chose you and I, the church age believer, because of our faith in Christ, the justification and our union and identification with Him in His crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, and session at the right hand of the Father before the act of creating the time out of space continuum, before creating creation. Don't you feel loved? I know I do. I mean, think about everything He created, right? Everything. And He was thinking about you and I in eternity past to be the bride of His Son, Jesus Christ, who was going to make who's the last Adam and be the head of the new humanity and we're part of the new humanity. We're the bride of Christ. We're not friends of the bridegroom like Old Testament saints. No, we're the bridegroom. Bride. And he's the bridegroom, our savior. Pretty cool, huh? Again, define yourself by who you are in Christ and that God loved you so much that he elected you to privilege when he saw that in time through his omniscience that you 
would trust in his son, Jesus Christ, as Savior. And he knew when you would do that, he would also had a plan to identify you with his son and his crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, session, the right hand of the Father. And so that would, that would guarantee you that you would be perfected in a resurrection body at the rapture of the resurrection of church and you'll get rewards for faithful service and time. So you're, you're loved by God. You, he cares about you. He thought about you before he created anything. Before he created anything, before he created anything, he cre- was thinking about us. Because he, he, you know, so uh, that's who you, what you define yourself by, not by how much money you have, you know, how fast a car you have, or how many kids you have, or how many grandchildren, or how rich your daddy is, or how beautiful you are, or handsome, or how much likes you have on Facebook or, you know, how many hit records you have and, you know, how many, you know, how many people are, uh, you know, following you on Instagram or all that kind of stuff. The people of this generation and, you know, the, the older generation is just as bad. You know, we think we're something because of these things, but yet when these things get taken away, what happens? Who am I, right? You know, it doesn't matter how many Super Bowls you win, like Tom Brady, but does Tom Brady know who he is? You know, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, I remember hearing a quote after he won his third Super Bowl. Is, is this all there is? I mean, just think about it. If your whole life is defined, you define yourself as being a football player, what are you going to do after you retire? A lot of guys don't know how to handle retirement. They get into drugs, fall apart. You know, I mean, look at Lawrence Taylor, great linebacker. He had all kinds of drug problems and everything. Who am I? If I'm not a football player, you know, you know, you're, you're a human being, yes, but okay. Is that all there is? You know, there is a God, right? Yeah, there's a God. He, he, you can tell by what he, you know, how intricate and complicated you and I are, first of all. And this is like not some accident, not natural processes. This is too complex. You don't insult my intelligence, right? It, this is too complex. Don't tell me this just happened by accident. And if it's not by accident, we have a God who, if he is able to do this, I think he's able to create, uh, communicate with his creatures now. Don't you think if he could do this? If he could do the greater thing, don't you think he could do something simple as cre- communicate with his creatures? And he has, through the Bible, the Spirit, through the Scriptures, is communicating to us. And here we are in the church age, and God is telling us, those of us who trust in Jesus as Savior, how blessed we really are, and how much God thinks of us, and what a great plan he has for us. Election means he has a plan for our lives. There's a purpose for your life to get up in the morning. And it's not so you could be a Super Bowl quarterback. If that's part of God's plan, fine, but that's just part of the context. You and I, it's to grow up to become like Jesus Christ. Okay, we're sons of God. We need to live like that accordingly, as this book will bring out. The application is very important. Yet this is who we are, and we're royalty, and we're members of the body of Christ, the future bride of Christ, and we've been elected and predestinated and all that, right? Yeah. There's an application. We must live in a corresponding fashion that corresponds to this, who God made us to be. Living in sin, feeling miserable, depressed all the time, you know, get abusing alcohol because you can't deal with life. That shouldn't be the case for us as believers. We should rejoice too. We need to be a people that rejoices because of the blessings that God has given to us. Thank him today. Instead of feeling sorry for yourself or look being occupied and obsessed with your what your circumstances and how bad you got it, and some of us have it really bad. I get it. I've been through the dentist, been there, done that several times already in my life. I always used to say, tell myself, give myself good advice, advice that I would give another person who was in my situation. I'd tell them, hey, 
you're blessed, Billy. This is just context. This too shall pass. And uh, the thing that's going to remain constant is that I'm united to Christ. God looks at me as he looks at his son. Crucified, died, buried, raised, and seed with him. Now I want to go out and live that in a fashion that, that's consistent with that. Let's close in prayer. Thank you for joining us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. We pray this lesson will be a great blessing to your people, bringing glory to you and your son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.